0: Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Leo Sabo, and I'll be your host for today's conversation. On today's episode of Stewardship Leader, I'm joined by my friend Steve Carter, the stewardship pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Steve, welcome. Glad to have you here. Hey,
1: it's great to be here, Leo. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to our conversation. You and I have known each other for a while. You've been a board member of the Christian Stewardship Network, a valued member, and I appreciate your service uh, to CSN for so many years and so grateful for what you're doing. And by the way, you're going to be the one that's hosting the CSN Forum in March. So we're really excited about that. As we close the show, we'll talk a little bit more about that event and really encourage people to come to this annual event that we do. But so grateful that you're hosting that and really looking forward to that event. So let's start with just a brief intro. Like, tell us about you. Tell us about what brought you into the stewardship ministry space. What was that journey for you to come into this full time role as a stewardship pastor?
1: Well, it may surprise uh, listeners, but my background is not financial in nature. Before Mm -hmm. I stepped into the role of stewardship pastor, serving as an elder of Southeast Christian Church. And during those 12 years, I oversaw several ministries and led several building projects, including the launch of two of the first three multi-site campuses that we opened, Mm. but vocationally, I had a 24-year career in the safety and fire protection industry, where I served as a vice president of this national company that was headquartered in Louisville, Mm. Um, but about six years ago, uh, a team of our elders, uh, and I I wasn't a part of that team, uh, but I remember them flying down to visit Gateway for something that Gateway was doing called the Art of Stewardship event. Uh, You may remember it, Leo, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I was part of it.
1: (laughs) Okay, and uh, so our team went down there and after they learned about the impact that a stewardship ministry could make in a church, they came back from that event um, pretty fired up, pretty inspired, and we began to take steps to resource and start a stewardship ministry at Southeast. Now, just understand at that time, I had no idea that God was going to call me to that kind of a role. But sometime that very year uh, when all that was happening, I sensed God calling me to full-time vocational ministry in the local church. And I shared that calling with a few of my really close friends, including a few of the senior staff and elders at Southeast who were, you know, my closest friends. Mm -hmm. And I start looking for open positions in other churches because, you know, I wasn't assuming that God was calling me to Southeast. He was just calling me to to ministry in the local church. And, uh, but it was not very long before the leaders at Southeast asked me to consider this stewardship pastor position that had not yet been filled. filled. We'd been looking and we'd been just praying over who would be the right person. And uh, uh, when I kind of moved in that direction of vocational ministry, all of a sudden it seemed that maybe God was calling me to do that. And and so um, all I can say, Leo, is since that time, my passion for stewardship ministry has just grown exponentially. Mm. And I can't imagine doing anything else with my life than helping people you know, take their next step in stewardship. But mm. uh, it took me a journey to get there.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I don't think our listeners would be surprised that your background wasn't typical to stepping into ministry. That's something I actually talked about in a previous episode with Chris Gallard. In fact, Several of the people that have been on our podcast so far, most of them, if not all of them, I would say, have come from a totally different background than what people would expect a stewardship pastor uh, would gravitate from, and that would be maybe seminary and that. But but most of us actually are in the marketplace, we're doing our thing, and then God helps us to see this this area of our Christian walk that's so, so important and then says, not only do I want you to grab a hold of it and let it change your life, but I want you then to become a promoter of it. And so I'm excited that you're in this space. I definitely see your heart for stewardship ministry. As I said earlier, you've brought so much value to CSN since you've been involved in it. And uh, so very, very grateful that God has brought you here. And I'm not surprised by the the journey, but it just confirms that many of us that are out there, I want to speak to those who are listening. You may be a person out there that's just beginning to understand this space and beginning to, you know, it's impacting your life and you're sensing a, a, a real passion for this growing inside of you. Don't stifle that passion. Allow it to grow because God will create an opportunity for you to promote uh, this ministry to your leadership and maybe even become a volunteer and eventually be a full time stewardship pastor. It's happened to us, and I, I believe God has in store for many people to to join our ranks in the same way. So. It's just a confirmation that sometimes that's the way God brings these kinds of people uh, to this ministry. So I'm grateful for that. So let's dive into what were your initial thoughts about how the ministry of stewardship at Southeast Christian should be built? What or who were your models for how you should start the ministry?
1: Well, that's a great question, Leo. You know, the truth is when I said yes to leading this ministry, I had almost no thoughts of my own about what the ministry should look like. I used to tell people before I stepped into this ministry, I'd never used an envelope for budgeting before, you know, and not (laughs) that you have to, but you know, that whole, those kinds of thoughts weren't thoughts that I had. I didn't really live in that space in that world. I, I do look back and think that just naturally as a disciple of Jesus, I had followed God's word on money quite a bit throughout my life. I didn't really call it out or think of it as a distinctive but it was just something that was just a part of my walk, and had been since I was a child. Thankfully, I had parents and grandparents who instilled all of those kinds of things in me uh, along the way. But when it came to thinking about a whole ministry to really disciple people in this area, uh, I, I didn't know, I didn't know uh, up from down as it related to that. But I did kind of begin to say, just through a, a leadership lens. What, what would I need to do in the first year or so if I was going to get to that point where I had a plan for the ministry and a path for the ministry and that sort of thing? And so I kind of came up with this high-level game plan and broke it into four phases, Leo. I said I would spend the first bit of time in discovery phase, the second bit of time in planning the third in actually a launch phase. And then after that, we would just continue to grow the ministry from there on. So those four phases I knew would be important to the ministry. And so those first 90, I I, I set aside 90 days, gave myself 90 days to do this discovery mode, mostly because I had a huge learning curve about stewardship and stewardship ministry. Mm. I had lots of experience leading in the local church, I'd spend the last 25 years doing that at Southeast. So I understood the Southeast culture. I had relationships with all the key ministry leaders, but I had no context for this stewardship ministry that I was now charged with building. Hmm. So during that initial season of discovery, I think back, Leo, and I I recognized that there were like four things that I had spent my time doing. And I think this would be helpful to any of the listeners out there who are going to be, you know, starting where I started. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first thing I would say is to get on my knees in prayer is what I did.
2: Uh, I wanted to make
1: sure that I was opening myself up to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's because I had a real sense that God had led the elders of Southeast. His Holy Spirit had led them to this ministry, and I needed to get aligned in my leadership with what God had in mind for Southeast Christian in this realm. I just, I found that just posture of praying a lot more than maybe my regular prayer patterns. You know, Mm -hmm. I just increased that. Um, Secondly, I needed to begin to study God's word on stewardship. So somebody gave me a stewardship Bible and I started reading it every day, spent significant amounts of time in God's Mm -hmm. word during that season. Uh, I also began to read books that people were connecting me to around biblical stewardship by authors like Randy Alcorn and Howard Dayton and Dave Ramsey and others that helped me get this deeper understanding about what the Bible says about stewardship. I remember uh, I had, I, I'm an Evernote user uh, to mm-hmm. journal, uh, digital yeah. journal, and so I began to record every passage of scripture about stewardship that I came across as I would read those books uh, and I, as I would study scripture, and I would begin to make notes about what God was teaching me and the thoughts I was having about how that might play out in the stewardship ministry. And I have this massive Evernote that got built during that season. And I love to go back to it from time to time and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and remember that. And then the third thing, so those two things, you know, praying and reading God's word. But then I began to spend a lot of time networking with any and everybody in the church who had an interest in stewardship. This, by the way, included some key staff members in, inside of our church. Uh, But what I found, Leo, was that people just started coming out of the woodwork when I began to network. I found out there were people out in our church who had led financial stewardship programs in our church, even in the past, and certainly from some other churches where they had been, and they wanted to be involved in what I was going to be doing. And so one person would refer me to another person, and over coffee or breakfast or lunch, I would sit down with them, and I would hear their stewardship story. And I would start kind of making mental notes about where their passions and their giftedness was. Didn't make any commitments to any of those people. It was mostly just a networking exercise, just getting to know people and listening to how God had really worked through their lives in this area of stewardship. But little by little, God was leading me Leo to the people who would eventually be invited Mm -hmm. to join me in building the ministry. So that discovery uh, phase was important for that reason. But then, one more group of people that i connected with so in that discovery mode the fourth thing that i spent my time doing was connecting with stewardship ministry leaders from other churches i needed to learn all i could from their experience and i think it might have been my second week on the job leo when somebody forwarded me an email advertising this one day stewardship impact workshop at a church in palm beach gardens florida And I didn't even remember at that time that it was from the Christian Stewardship Network. I just saw this Stewardship Impact Workshop. And I thought to myself, this is a Mm -hmm, mm no-brainer. Travel to sunny Florida in April, spend a day with other church leaders who are trying to do what I'm doing, and learn from experienced leaders how to build a stewardship ministry from the ground up. Sign me up for that, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, that day, uh, uh, I traveled down to Florida, and I met Chris Goulard, who's the... Uh, had been the stewardship pastor at Saddleback in uh, Southern California, and Dave Briggs, who's the stewardship pastor at Central Christian in Arizona, and I was introduced that day to the Christian Stewardship Network, and, and what I want to say about that is that I cannot overstate the significant impact that that one-day workshop had on the stewardship ministry of Southeast, particularly in that season when I was sort of in discovery mode of soaking everything I, I could in and trying to figure out where to start there were so many takeaways from that day. And it just gave me a roadmap for how I ultimately went about launching the ministry. So so that was huge. But at some point, about four months in, I shifted into a planning phase. Mm -hmm. And the way I did that, Leo, was I invited five people to join a launch team. And the objective of that team was going to be to provide a provide the direction and the decision-making for the development of a comprehensive stewardship ministry at our church. And so with that team, over the next several months, I empowered and guided them to build a ministry plan and then ultimately be a part of implementing the very first phase of that plan as we launch the ministry. I often in leadership go back to Proverbs 15, Leo, and it says, plans fail for the lack of counsel, mm. but with many advisors they succeed. And that's just always been my style to say Steve don't think you know everything you need some other people surrounding you that bring different you know perspectives and different experiences and different things that would allow the plan that we were going to build to be much much better than Mm -hmm. what it would have been if it had just been me working on that together and frankly it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun to have them on board and to have them begin to take some ownership in the stewardship ministry I didn't feel alone I felt like I had the support and mutual encouragement of a group of people uh, that were becoming just as fired up about this as, as I was. And so I would really encourage those listening to consider inviting some people along that journey and doing that. During that next, I'd say, eight months, they were a part of this. But I just I think it's important to state that this was a, a temporary assignment. Leo, that that when I invited them, I said, hey, this is going to be a defined period of time. And after the ministry got launched, that time came to an end, and there were two reasons why that was important. One, it gave me a chance to get to know them and evaluate their ability to lead before I would ask them to serve in a longer-term role as part of the the lead team for the ministry. You know, at that time, I knew I would need a lead team or want a lead team, but I was I I think it was wise to not necessarily uh, call them the lead team right off the bat, because I didn't know them that well, and I I, I had a lot to learn. Uh, Number two, uh, it allowed that launch team the freedom to define the right structure for the volunteer ministry team with no strings attached. In in, in other words, let me say it another way. The future ministry leadership structure, whatever that was going to be, didn't have to fit the people that were in the room. Okay. Oh, I love that. Um, if, if we had not done this sort of temporary launch team thing, we would have gotten that wrong. We would mm-hmm. have established our structure in a way that fit the people in that room, which would not have been the most effective way for us uh, uh, yeah. to, do, to do the ministry. So I'm really grateful that that worked out the way um, that it did. So I began to think through a model that I had used many different times in my leadership in the past. And you asked me earlier, you know, what, where did I get the model for how Mm. I I launched? And I I must say, I got that from author and organizational leadership expert, Patrick Lencioni. Mm. Uh, In his book, The Advantage, he outlines this method for creating organizational clarity and alignment that I've used, like I said, many times in different environments where I've been asked to lead. And what it does is it involves team members like I had in agreeing on the answers to six simple questions, but very critical questions for how an organization should be uh, aligned. And if there's something like a stewardship ministry that you're trying to build, it's a perfect way for you to get to that point of clarity and to get to the point where you can build a plan Uh, that would be right for your organization and your church, and that's what I wanted to have. I wanted us to not necessarily copy what we were seeing done in all the other churches, Mm
0: -hmm. but I wanted
1: us to go through a process that would get us to where God wanted us and needed us to be for Southeast Christian Church, and so uh, asking these actually ended up, Leo, instead of using all six questions, I pulled one out that didn't seem to apply to what Mm -hmm. we were doing, but the remaining five questions became a framework for how we got from A to Z. And what I love about these questions is that they sort of build on each other, right? Like after mm-hmm. you answer question one, the answers to that question, the outcome of, of that work that our team did became sort of a, a part of how we then began to answer question two and so on and so forth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I, w- would it be helpful, Leo, if I share with the listeners what those five questions are? Sure, go ahead. Okay. I'll do that quickly. Um, The first question we answered as we began to do this planning, remember, we're in the planning mode, right? We're trying to build a plan. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: One was, why do we exist? So we Mm -hmm. started with why. We all needed to get really clear on why a church should have a stewardship ministry in the first place, right? Right, right. So... Part of what I did in that was we reviewed what the Bible had to say about stewardship. We also spent a lot of time talking about the people of Southeast Christian Church and just identified every reality about people as it related to money and finances. And then we also spent some time looking at our church as a whole and how our stewardship ministry would align with the current mission and vision and strategies of the church as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. Because that needed to be a part of why we existed, that we fit in. Uh, to, to what Southeast was doing. And I'm really glad we didn't skip over this, because mm-hmm. this really was became kind of the foundation that we stood on to move forward in that. So first question, what why did we exist? The second question was, what would we do? And this dove us straight into the planning exercises, right? Mm-hmm. We began to agree on some major areas of ministry focus we decided that we would have an area of focus of equipping classes, Now, this is not uncommon. Many churches with stewardship ministries would have classes that they do, right? And that seemed natural to us. We decided we would have a financial coaching focus, and so we were gonna, you know, do that. An estate planning ministry. We felt that was a, a key and critical part of what we needed to do, and uh, we believed at that time we would need to build some online resources that people more and more were wanting to be able to do some, you know, DIY sort of things where they could right. access things online. Right. And so those became sort of these four areas of focus. And then within each of those areas of focus, we began to develop the ideas and agreed upon various programs that would support that, that area of focus. And so we answered that question, what will we do? And we, we got that up on the board. And then we said, with each of those programs, the third question we wanted to answer was, how would we succeed? what would it look like to be successful at a program like that? And we took the time to really develop strategies for the ministry. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's worth noting that it was at this point that we knew the people on the launch team would not be the lead team. Mm -hmm. All of the people on the launch team were from one campus, our largest and original campus. and, Mm -hmm. And I needed to find and invite someone from each of our four campuses at that time, Uh, We've got more campuses now, but at that time we had four. I needed to invite someone from each of those four campuses to form the new lead team. And everyone in the room sort of decided that that was the right model. And when they were deciding that, what I loved about their humility and their spirit was they knew that meant that they weren't going to be necessarily on the lead team. And they were okay with that because they cared more about the church and, and what was right for the church uh, in that moment. I knew I had the right people on the launch team, Leo, when that, when that happened. Yeah. Two more questions very quickly we answered. We, we then moved to question four, which was, what is most important now? What that led us to do was to go back to that, all those ministry programs that we had defined how we would succeed in each of them and then say, what should we do first? What should be the first phase that would ultimately define our launch plan? What will we launch with? And then what I had was something that would guide me for the next two or three years of what we would do in phase two and phase three, six, 12, and 18 months later as we would continue to grow uh, the ministry. And uh, this was an important question to answer because it really ended up making us accountable to a timeline for getting Mm. that done. Yeah, that's really and it put us in a place where we were agreeing on a timeline before anyone was volunteering for a certain role or responsibility, and that way, when we got to that point, people knew what they were signing up for. And the final question is simply, who will do what? Who will do what? And we were all sitting in the room, and we knew probably we were going to be part of that that answer. And so we began to. Uh, identify who the volunteers in the ministry could be, even beyond the people that were in the room. We knew we needed more than the five people in the room. And so I remember before our very last planning meeting, Leo, I I tasked each member in between meetings, which we were meeting about every two weeks. And I said, in the next two weeks, I want you to do two things. I want you to be praying every day for God to bring to mind the people that are in your circle, in our church that could be potential volunteers and candidates for volunteers in our ministry. And then before you come back to the next meeting, I want you to put three to five names down on this card. And I gave them all a card to take away with them. It kind of became their reminder to pray. And they, they knew they had to fill in those blanks before they came back to the next meeting. And Leo, when I did that, it felt like a risk. I didn't know if they were going to be able to do that or if that was even going to work but you know, every single one of them came back with a card filled with names. Mm. And God really answered prayers as that was something that I was I was really praying over at that time. And uh, we ended up being able to launch the ministry with you know three or four volunteers at every campus. It was enough for us to be able to get launched with. And uh, it put us in a place where we knew who was gonna do what as, as we moved forward. So that's how we got, you know, I didn't have a lot of initial thoughts, but at the end of that, You know, discovery phase and then that planning phase, we were now shifting into the implementation phase, Leo, and we had a huge plan. And uh, Mm -hmm. God really worked through that launch team to get us there. And I think that was a critical part of my leadership during that time was really being able to facilitate and lead a team to get to that point.
0: Well, I'll tell you, you had a very significant and very thought out plan on how you got this done. And that probably comes a little bit from your experience. And I would guess it's also part of who you are as a person. You're very inquisitive. You read a lot. You research a lot. You really are not trying to reinvent the wheel. You're trying to get the right information so that that you're avoiding a lot of the trial and error type of building. So now you're several years into this ministry. What does it look like today? What are some of the actual components, the content that you guys use as you're launching across all these campuses?
1: Well, I'll start, Leo. It was just kind of how we launched, what we launched with, just to mm-hmm. show the listeners what that would look like. We started with two stewardship classes at each of the four campuses, Okay. Um, a two-hour budget workshop, and a nine-week Financial Peace University group.
2: Mm, good. Um,
1: we also launched with an estate planning seminar that we hosted at our largest campus, but we promoted it at all of our campuses. At that mm-hmm. time, our campuses were within 20 minutes of each other, and we it wasn't uncommon to have a larger event that would be sort of centralized. Right. Uh, that's really changed in the, in the years, um, but, but at that time that, that made sense. And we launched with a financial coaching ministry that the way we rolled that out was really by beginning to communicate it with our staff first and getting them to be aware of all the people that they're pastoring and they're connected with and their circles of discipleship. And then ultimately to the church at large, Uh, we began to to let them know that we had this ministry. And I was privileged that during that launch season, uh, we launched at a time when our senior pastor was doing a four-week stewardship sermon series. Mm. So he integrated both Financial Peace University and the estate planning seminar into his sermons. And in essence, what he was saying to our church family, we have a stewardship ministry, and this is what it's about. Mm-hmm. and it's about something we want for you not just something that we want from you which was a big deal for him to put that out there and to say sure, sure. this is who we are and this is why we have this ministry and we want you to engage in it right and that was super helpful for me to have something for them to see that was of some significance at the time that our senior pastor was going to say that to you know 20 some thousand people on a weekend Mm-hmm. Um, but it it really has evolved and changed uh, as we've recognized the need to continue to grow things and change things. You know, when we launched, we envisioned mostly on-campus multi-week programs. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've learned a lot since then about how people will engage in stewardship ministry. We now do a whole lot more sort of you know one and a half to two-hour workshops that just happen on one time. Uh, that's not sort of a multi-week thing. And we dive into a much more focused aspect of stewardship in those workshops. And uh, we've also chosen to do a whole lot less multi-week classes on campus. We still offer the Financial Peace University, which is a nine-week program. And the only other class that we have that is multi-week is a three-week class that we have. So we've really pared that down, where initially I was building and rolling out several, you know, multi-week studies and things like that. And mm-hmm. we were just finding that the busy lives of people, and it just was not, you know, getting people to tap in and engage. I don't know if you've experienced that somewhat too, Leo.
0: I have. In fact, that's that's our journey at Gateway that we we built a lot of content, a lot of multi-week type things. And over time, like you said, we had to adapt to what the congregation, what the members were willing to come and not only get engaged in, but actually stick it out and actually complete these programs. So what we found is that we needed to find a balance between doing a face-to-face live teaching, but also making it available for those who would not come to a face-to-face. They may not sit in a workshop, but then if they had the opportunity to do it through a small group or some other way, that we didn't want to keep them from that. And we knew that maybe the impact wouldn't be as effective, but yet when you open people to information, to knowledge, to content, they're able to take it in their own way and kind of become educated that way. And it may take longer. It may take more of these opportunities for them to get engaged in content like that rather than a face-to-face with a person or with a team. But yet it's still provides a need, something that continues to season and mature and educate our members so that over time they're becoming better stewards, of their understanding and applying these. So I think you do have to, this is something that I want to stress. You do have to be able to gauge the the pulse of your congregation, their learning style, their willingness to commit to certain some churches will do small groups and put everything through small groups. Other churches don't. Other churches have very specific nights of the week where they do equip classes. So you just have to adapt to that. But like anything else, if you stay stagnant, if you just run the same program over and over and over again, every one of these programs have a shelf life. They're good for a while, but if you don't tweak it, if you don't adjust it, if you don't meet the need, then it's very easy to become stagnant and ineffective. So another part of it that I think is really important is measure everything you're doing you know, measure it, make sure people are actually being transformed, do a survey after a class, do some kind of polling or, or interview type style. So you're engaging the people that are actually going through this and they're giving you good feedback to know whether this is working or not.
1: That's you- a great point. You know, we just, in fact, just this year, that very initial budget workshop that we launched with mm-hmm. um, after three or four years of it, we just recognized from the measuring that we were doing, that it was not effective, that transformation mm-hmm. wasn't happening. And we were seeing a decline in uh, uh, participation, and I believe that's because word of mouth wasn't doing the work, right? And right. people weren't telling people, hey, you need to get in this, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we, we just rebuilt it. We just started from the ground up, and we took a lot of the, the feedback we've been receiving from the surveying that we've been doing, and we uh, you know, built entirely new content, and we rolled it out this fall and so far, so good, Leo. I mean, we mm-hmm. really feel like we've, we've made the right adjustments and um, uh, and we re- sort of relaunched it in a way that the church sees it as something new and fresh and different so that hopefully we can get people to reengage. So I, I'm in agreement with you. You've got to watch what's working, what's not, and be willing to make those adjustments uh, along the way. You know, you talked about how some churches do small group things. And at the time that we launched, you know, we chose a lot of on campus. Uh, And didn't focus on small groups in our initial plan because we just weren't a church that put a lot of focus on small groups in in homes and in workplaces at that time. I mean, we had plenty of them, I'm sure, but if you were to talk to key staff around here, you wouldn't see them really focused on that, Mm -hmm. and and there wasn't a lot of strategy around that. And so I I didn't feel like it made sense for us to 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 put a lot of effort in stewardship uh, ministry there. But over the last few years, that's really changed now I've watched, seen as we have had some new campuses launch, especially where the building has little to no space for any on-campus groups. Well, guess what they do? They put all their focus on off-campus small groups. Mm -hmm. And I started watching that happen going, hey, my model here is not going to work
2: for this new campus.
1: And frankly, I got kind of excited about this new element for our ministry because I think it's probably even more effective Mm. instead of asking people to come to a special class or group at a time or place outside their normal routine, but rather we will provide stewardship Bible studies uh, and resources that groups can incorporate into their regular patterns of group life. And so we're doing that now and we're we're measuring the success of that and and excited about the opportunity. I think we'll probably touch more people uh, in stewardship that way than we would the other way. if I I can mention another way that that we've really changed and evolved over the years since we started, uh, we started looking for opportunities to partner with other ministries in the church. Mm, That's good. I mean, and some of that, I must admit, they came to me about, and other Mm. times it was more me being proactive going to them. That's really, if you look at the programming that we're doing now, you'll find a pretty good blend of things where it's you know directly the stewardship ministry providing it to the people of the church, but there's a good blend of it that really it's coming underneath the umbrella of mm-hmm. those ministries and what they're doing. And that's been really exciting to see that take off and is helping more people engage than would have engaged, right? And mm-hmm. two things are happening there. One, it's elevating their ministry, right? Because they're saying, look, we want to minister to our people. And this issue of money and finances is, is an issue, but we don't know how to do that. But Steve and the stewardship ministry team is like right on it, right? And right. all I gotta do is promote it, they show up and do it, right? So that's been good. Um, and, and the second thing is, it's a win for this mission I have to build a culture of stewardship at Southeast, because mm-hmm. the more people uh, that can engage in these things, uh, the better. So. You know That's been good. We've done that with our senior adults ministry. They'll do a big grandparents conference and have us do a breakout session on grandparents giving to their grandkids and how to do that through the biblical stewardship lens. Or our disabilities ministry came to us and and they recognized that there's this very unique aspect of stewardship that those families have around something called a special needs trust. And Mm -hmm. so we were able to, within our estate planning ministry that we had to incorporate that. We've worked with our high school and our children's ministry to begin to bring some stewardship teaching and equipping into the parents of our church and helping the next generation come out in a little better place in terms of being able to understand biblical stewardship and how to do finances than what we're seeing uh, today. And so I'm putting an investment on the next generation by working with families and working through our children's ministry that way. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, Steve, I think the fact that you are looking at this from so many different angles to try to really permeate stewardship through the whole church is a valuable information right here that we want to share with our listeners. Always think of the ministry as something that you can connect with every ministry in the church. You can't minister to every person in the church. That's not a realistic goal, but you can do it if you harness what other ministries are already doing. That need is there, and they don't know how to fill it, but you do. So you can come alongside them, as Steve said, And then you can literally get into the culture of the church in every aspect of it. And that should be part of the plan, is to always link arms with other ministries so that it becomes something that's church-wide effort and it's reaching every single generation. Well, Steve, I know you and I can probably talk for another hour about everything that's related to your ministry and what what this whole thing means to us. And so I'm excited for what you shared because I think you've added a lot of value to those that are looking at either improving the ministry that they're already overseeing or are even considering starting a ministry. So I want to thank you for your time. I thank you for the insight that you've given. It has been tremendous. And just as we close, I just want to ask you to maybe impart something to a new stewardship leader that may be listening and just impart to them what would you say for them would be like the next step in order to get involved more and to learn more and maybe eventually even a step into a role as a stewardship leader?
1: Yeah, thanks, Leo. Um, I, I would say to those listeners to just allow your passion for stewardship and generosity and help your team at your church get just as fired up about this as you are. Mm. Uh, God put this in you and might just be calling you to be the carrier of that passion for your church. So don't disregard that calling, really lean into that and really listen to what God's asking you to do with this, this thing that he's put in you. And I would say when you're ready to take a step, get involved in the Christian stewardship network. I talked about how important that was in my journey as I got started. And I would just say, there's no better place to learn how to build and continue growing a stewardship ministry. So tap into the resources that CSN offers, things like this podcast, articles, the events that we do, uh, the workshop, the annual forum, which we're excited about hosting here at Southeast in 2020. But I would say maybe more importantly, when you tap into CSN, connect the members of CSN Mm -hmm. because the power of CSN is in the people. Um, There are in our network stewardship ministry leaders from I would guess, Leo, over a hundred churches, maybe a couple hundred churches of all different types and sizes and different approaches to ministry. And so when you're a part of CSN, you're meeting and connecting with practitioners who are in the trenches every day doing the work of stewardship. And we all learn from each other. And I continue to gain so much encouragement from being a part of that network and being connected to those people, the relationships that I have. As I look back on my four years in ministry so far, I would say my involvement in CSN is by far the best decision that I've made as a leader. So I would just encourage you to use this CSN as a tool to help you get uh, where you where you want to go, because you'll have the mutual encouragement of others to help you know spur you on to get this going in your local church. And um, we want to help you. We want to help you with that.
0: Awesome. Well, Steve, again, thanks for taking the time to be with us. So appreciate you, my friend. Any parting words?
1: No, I'm just grateful for CSN, grateful for what you're doing, Leo. And it was a privilege to be
0: a part of this today. All right. Thanks, Steve. And thank you for listening to this episode of Stewardship Leader. If you found it helpful, please share it with other stewardship or church leaders so they may also benefit. We'd also appreciate it if you'd rate and review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever podcast app you're using. Our CSN annual forum is coming up in March of 2020, and we'd love to see you there. You'll have the opportunity to connect with other stewardship leaders from all over the country. You'll learn about best practices, new content, and discover ministries that are available to support you in building and running your own stewardship ministry. To register for the forum and for the Stewardship Impact Workshop, go to christianstewardshipnetwork.com slash live events. Until next time, remember, God has called you to be the best steward you can be. So be that faithful steward, but go even further by teaching others to do the same.